Hello, friends. We are back with the 101 podcast. It is I, your professor, Zach Carr. I am thrilled to be back here with you all. I hope everyone is doing well, staying healthy, staying balanced, taking care of yourselves, and all of those wonderful things. It's uh, good to be with you again. And today we have an incredibly, uh, an incredibly prolific researcher on our podcast today, and I'm honored to be welcoming Dr. Janet Yang. And Janet is a uh, just a fabulous researcher, a, a wonderful instructor, and someone you want to know, someone you want to follow, someone's whose research you want to be paying attention to. Um, I think when I think of Janet, I think of everything that is incredible about social sciences and this department in general. She is at the very leading edge of her field um, and has done so much for the field of risk communication um, and really helping instruct the public and making all of us aware of some of our tendencies um, when it comes to risk communication and how we perceive risk and how we engage with it. So today I have a wonderful discussion with Janet about the state of communication, about her research, um, and it's just a great time. So without further ado, let us welcome the great and powerful Dr. Janet Yang. All right, 101ers, we are back, and I'm honored today to have the mighty and powerful Dr. Janet Yang with me on this 101 podcast. Janet, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. This is great, and we continue the series, friends, of us interviewing faculty members and getting different perspectives on the state of communication and on the research interests, and I'm very excited to be talking with Janet today. If you don't mind, Janet, just give us a little background as to your position here in the department and your research interests, just generally. Sure. Um, I'm a professor in the Department of Communication. Sorry. I've been here for 12 years. Um, I study risk communication, mm -hmm. broadly defined, uh, related to environmental issues, health topics, and mm. science and technology. So anything that's risky, that's what mm. I'm interested in. Which is a lot of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Janet, I was talking to you before. You know, we are, especially this semester in Common One, exploring the, the relevance of communication in our current societal state. And I would love to get your thoughts on, A, first, where you think we are uh, as a society in terms of our ability to communicate, what might be some issues that you see uh, with our ability to communicate, whether that involves just listening, <laughs> you know, the other side of, of communication, um, and where do you think we can go from here? You know, is there hope on the horizon, as it were? So please, go ahead. I think this is a great opportunity for communication scholars. Mm. The reason being, like you mentioned, there's so many things that we don't communicate effectively as a society, right? Mm. Given the current COVID-19 pandemic, I think that's probably the shining example of how miscommunication, misinformation could really influence individual behavior and, you know, how our society fare when mm. there's a global pandemic. Absolutely. So there's a <laughs> lot of... Um, you know, confusion yeah. due to that lack of information and also the broadly existing misinformation, mm. right, regarding the vaccine, regarding COVID, its origin and so many other things. And I think um, it's also very challenging because our society, as you know, it's highly politically divided. And yes. this polarization also makes that communication even more challenging because people simply don't want to listen to the other side, whatever Barriers they have to up, say. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So I think this is an opportunity. Obviously, it's a threat, but I also see it as opportunity because a 
gives communication scholars a lot of different areas that we mm. can conduct research on and also generate insights that are not only theoretically meaningful, but also practically useful for mm. our society to think about how we can communicate better. Absolutely. Yeah, it's such an interesting time. You know, I think, as you mentioned, with with COVID, it really did a number <laughs> on on our, our way of thinking a little bit, you know, societally. Um, we were locked inside for so many months mm -hmm. and, you know, social media as well added an aspect of, of creating echo chambers for our thoughts. And so I think it added a unique component to our ability to listen and communicate. And then you throw in, as you mentioned, the political division, the ideological ties that go with mm -hmm. this, and they've all been meshed into this melting pot. And I think you're right, though. I like how you framed it. It could be a threat, but it's also a wonderful opportunity for us. Um, so then that leads me to my second question is, you know, at a place like UB, in this department where we investigate the the how and the why of human behavior. Um, what is the value that you see of training and of an undergraduate degree like communication and its relevance to the world? Mm -hmm. Well, I think communication has a lot of potential as a um, future profession, right? Mm -hmm. Because it covers a broad range of specific things you can do that right. we call communication. Right. And I think one thing that's really unique to our department is that we are very collectively consciously determined that we are a department of social scientists mm -hmm. so all of us have you know very clear understanding about each other's work mm -hmm. and we're trained many of us are trained in very similar ways yeah. which means it's easy for us to collaborate and you know conduct projects together mm -hmm. so i think for undergraduates for students, right? That means you have a lot of people you can learn from yeah. and a lot of people are eager to involve undergraduates in doing research and yeah. helping them to understand, you know, the process, like you said, the how and the why. So I think having this very clearly defined identity as a department mm -hmm. really makes the degree from this place unique because yeah. you will be prepared really well in terms of understanding research, understanding how to interpret data and understanding perhaps even how to collect data on your mm -hmm. own and be able to make some meaning out of it. And all, all of those skills and techniques are going to be very useful mm -hmm. as you go into the professional world. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, it's not just for people who want to continue to do research in graduate school or beyond, right? The mm -hmm. skill set of critically consuming information and knowing how to analyze statistical trends, critically work through ideas and topics is just so useful. And employers desire that. Definitely. You know, particularly writing skills, right, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of the field now. And I think um, all of what we do contributes to that, mm -hmm. right, and creates such a wonderful atmosphere. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, let's talk about your research interests a little bit. Um, walk us through uh, maybe one or two of your favorite projects, you know, maybe give us an idea of the fields you dabble in. I know you mentioned a few of them before, but some in-depth exploration would be cool, I think, for everybody. Sure. Yeah. Um, I study, as I mentioned, environmental risk and health risks. Those mm -hmm. are the two primary domains of my work. And um, they're definitely having a lot of projects that I conducted here with graduate students, mm -hmm. undergraduate that I'm really proud of. But two things that come to mind immediately. One, it's uh, I've been very interested in climate change for a long time. And mm -hmm. a few years ago, we did a series of studies to look at climate change communication, which, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, it's very difficult because it's so polarized. Right. right, right. So in one study, we devised an experimental 
um, procedure where we give students, all undergraduates at UB, we give them like a fake knowledge test about oh, climate change. Interesting. So it was conducted as an online experiment. So mm -hmm. obviously the cover story is that here are some questions about climate change. Tell us if you believe it's true or false, right? Huh. There are 10 questions. We consulted a lot of scientific literature. You know, some of them have to do with the origin, sure. you know, the cause of climate change, mm -hmm. some potential mitigation strategies and a lot of different things. Sure. Um, and there are questions that are not immediately like easy. People know uh, the answer right away. Right, right, right. right. So students, um, they did this knowledge test. They were given an answer. They were given a response, basically how hmm. well they did, hmm. right? But unbeknownst to the subjects, we randomly assigned them to either receive a really high score, you know, eight out of 10, uh, or a really low score mm -hmm. and two out of 10. Mm -hmm. And we also tell them, well, you did really good, like much better than your peers, or you did not very good, huh? <laughs> worse than your peers. So obviously, this manipulation is really to trigger people to desire, hopefully, mm -hmm. either more information because they feel like they really don't know much at sure, all, right? So sure. increase their need for information, which mm -hmm. is a scientific term called information sufficiency. Mm. And then the other group is really to boost their judgment confidence, making them feel like, oh, I really know quite a bit about right, climate change. Right. And the interesting part is people don't really know, right? And their actual score was never revealed to them. Um, so after that manipulation, we subsequently evaluated how the sense of information insufficiency, right, making mm -hmm. people feel like their knowledge about climate change is really limited. Right. How would that influence their subsequent information seeking behavior? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. theoretically, we know there are a lot of theories that says if you feel like you don't know enough about something, you want to gather more information right. to right. make up for the difference, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody has intrinsically has this need to be accurate, to maintain accurate right. attitude. So from that project, we found this sense of insufficiency actually not only contributes to information seeking behavior, mm -hmm. but actually lead people to be more likely to express support for a climate mitigation policy. Mm -hmm. So I think what's going on here is mm -hmm. really to push this issue front and center, make yeah. it very salient in their perception. Yeah. So immediately becomes something that they want to engage with and think about, right? Mm. So that's obviously we've done many other works related to climate change, but sure. I think that's one pretty unique idea. That is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It reminds me of a term like a, a, like a motivated reasoning concept that was studied out of uh, Kahan, I believe, out mm -hmm. of Yale. Very, with, I think gun control was one of mm -hmm. the topics mm -hmm. that he studied there. That's very fascinating. And did was there any incorporation of, of political affiliation in that study? In that study, not so much okay. because it's on undergraduate, right? Oh, right and as right. you can imagine, we're 80% liberal right, here. Right, right, so it right. probably doesn't make much sense Fair to enough. do that. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Oh, that's very interesting. May I ask what got you interested in risk communication? Um, long story, but it's really from my master's training. Mm. Uh, when I was doing a master's program, my advisor was Bob Griffin, who was yeah, a pretty right. well-known scholar in risk communication. Right, right. Back w back then, um, I came from China, 2003, mm -hmm. know nothing about risk communication. Mm. And he was really the one that inspired me and mm. got me thinking about a lot of those things related to uncertainty, related to probability, related to decision making, which right. risk is a big concept, but it's sure. everywhere, yeah, right? If you yeah. think about it, everything we do involves some degree Absolutely. of risk. Yep. So that just became something that really fascinated me. Mm. And it all started from there. Oh, very, very interesting. I mean, climate change is, I thank you, because what a, what a relevant topic to be studying right here and right now, especially in 2021. There's so much, I think, misinformation out there as well mm -hmm. on, on this topic. So I Definitely. love that. Is there another study that you also are very fond of? Sure. Um, so I have a couple projects mm -hmm. to date that are funded by the National Science Foundation mm -hmm. to look at um, COVID-19 mm -hmm. pandemic. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 
we've done several uh, large scale surveys to look at public opinion, basically mm. how Americans um, construe or think about the risks mm. from the pandemic and also the risks from the vaccines, right? Mm. So one of my projects with my doctoral um, student, Jody Wan, is actually part of our dissertation research. With what we found that was really interesting, basically only based on survey data. So again, keep in mind it's our self-report, right? Sure. But even that, what we found essentially people who are vaccinated majority they tend to see the pandemic as a much bigger risk than the vaccine they think mm. of it as much more dreadful um and hmm. much more difficult to control and base and um so essentially vaccinated people think of the pandemic as scarier and riskier than mm. the vaccine but on the flip side people who are unvaccinated when mm. we collect the data it was back in may 2021 so okay. a lot okay. of people already had the opportunity to they get did. vaccinated yes, right yes. but many people didn't even right. today 56 percent right. of americans are vaccinated so we still have a, like 40 44 percent that are very not large chunk yes. exactly so for the unvaccinated individual, it seems that they tend to see the vaccine as a much higher unknown risk, right? Mm. So what that means is mm. essentially mm. they perhaps due to misinformation, right. perhaps due to other concern, you know, or maybe this general anti-vaccine sentiment, yeah. they tend to see the vaccines perhaps because it's developed really quickly and the technology is really novel, you know, mm. mRNA, nobody knows what it is. Right, right. Um, everybody thinks it's like a brand new thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's scientifically not true. Right, the technology right. has been right. in existence for a decade, right. but people don't know that. And the right. media don't talk about it much no, or enough, right? Mm -hmm. So people who are unvaccinated, they tend to see the vaccine as super unknown, which means it's also really scary because we don't want to get something that we don't know into our body, right? Which is a, a justifiable concept right. so at it, its core. <laughs> right. So if you think about it, I think it really helps us to understand mm. why vaccine hesitancy exists, even when yep. the pandemic has killed so many Americans right. and we know all of us are equally susceptible, yep. people still decide they don't want to get it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this research wow. is, you know, offer some really important insight in terms of how we can communicate mm. more effectively about vaccine. Yeah. Perhaps, for instance, one thing that the scientific community and communication scholars like us, we should really be explained to the lay public or everyday citizens just to say, hey, the technology actually has been existing, yeah. you know, for a long yeah. time, and it's highly effective. And a lot of those side effects or misinformation, we really need to think about how to debunk them and yep. to really steer people away from paying attention to the untrue, you know, unimportant facts, yeah. so to speak. So you think, you know, communication scholars could almost be that intermediary, mm -hmm. you know, between maybe the, the the hard science of what's going on and and the layperson who might not be able for to sure. understand that. Definitely. And do you think that's part of why, for example, we don't see as much reported in the media about, you know, mRNA status, for example, you know, the fact that it's been around? Do you think that there's this idea that um, it won't be comprehended? No, I think what happened here was really because it's such a novel, it's it's been mm -hmm. in existence for a decade, but it's still relatively right, new, right? right. And this it has application. Right, right, right. And this particular application to a vaccine, that's relatively novel. Yeah. So I think the scientific community just got overly excited, right? Because <laughs> wow. it is it is groundbreaking. It sure, is really sure. cool, right? Yes. When it first came out, they're just really happy about yeah, it. And yeah. because it is it is kind of like a scientific big step forward and right. it's obviously there's a lot of things to be proud of and to praise and to you know yeah. um to draw those attention to this is amazing this right. is a great technology right. but i think by doing that right mm. the other kind of unintended effect is that 
people don't uniformly believe in science and get excited right. about science, right? right? So like this unknown component I mentioned, mm -hmm. I think that definitely is something that some people really are concerned or worried about, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so I thought that was a very interesting that finding. That is very interesting. And are there uh, future ideas in the works, I'm assuming, about where to take this next? Yeah, yeah so the next step we're thinking about right now, um, the data we've collected is based on the national representative sample. So it's okay. overall American adults, right? Wow. But if you look at the groups that are vaccinated or not vaccinated mm -hmm. at the moment, younger people actually are mm -hmm. in the lower percentage groups in terms of overall vaccination. Okay. So we're really thinking about focusing more on the 19 to 49, you know, kind of younger sure, age group, youngish. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because a lot of older folks are already fully vaccinated. Yeah. But we're really trying to think about how do we increase vaccine uptake among the younger age groups? Mm. And are there, you know, specific attributes or individual characteristics that really determine their decision making sure. in these younger groups, sure. right? Um, one thing that comes to mind immediately is, you know, young people tend to have a stronger optimistic bias, thinking that mm. risks don't affect them, right? Mm. They're unlikely to suffer right. negative consequences, right. and somehow they're immune to a lot of things. <laughs> right, so right. that could be a psychological trait that really yeah. needs, you know, some work. And sure. um Maybe also misinformation, you right, know, through social right. media, especially because we know yes. that's the most rampant type it of is. dissemination of it misinformation. Is. There's some dark rabbit holes mm -hmm. out there that people go down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's the next step. Yeah. That's a tricky one. <laughs> Very interesting. So if you um, kind of answer this a little bit, but in terms of the overarching umbrella of risk communication, um, where do you see the future of the field going? You know, obviously we're tackling some of the COVID things. Is there anything else that has you excited about where the future is headed for this? field in general yeah this field when it first started it was very small mm. um mm. now it has expanded to all the major communication departments cool. all over the country all over That's the world great. um it's definitely a field that has a lot of potential if you even just look at the job market right, right? we all know job markets are very difficult right now yes. yeah. but this year all the new jobs i've seen I would say um, more than half of them are in the field of risk mm. and health communication wow. or even environment communication, which suggests, you know, this is a fa fast developing right. area Relative that are a lot of, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, um, I think what's unique about my work and this line of research is that it attracts a lot of federal fundings, mm. right? Because right. all the issues that we deal with right. tend to be real world problems that right. need solution. Right. So, which also suggests that there's a lot of potential, you know, as researchers mm. to be able to get that access external support and sure. to conduct, you know, different type of studies. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I think that's that is a exciting. Pretty I think future. such a testament to what our department does and others like ours, you know, this real life exploration, mm -hmm. you know, using theory, using proper scientific tactics to get there. But this, there's such a, that's what attracted me to this department in, in the first place was this, we study real topics, mm -hmm. topics that affect everyday yeah. human beings. It's not just this stereotypical ivory tower. We don't speak to anybody else about what we're doing, right? right. You know, there's this real sense of we want to help everyone and the public. And that's what we're here to do <laughs> today. You know, so I love that about this department. I think you're very emblematic of that. Um, are there any particular, I think you mentioned these a couple, but just for our own accountability, say for 101 students, a um, couple key terms or key concepts that you think are important for this field that students should know. 
Sure. Um, risk perception, okay. that's really core to everything. Okay. And there are a lot of theories connected to it, sure. right? The one important thing, if you ever take my risk communication mm -hmm. class, uh, you spend a lot of time learning about how Slovak's work on the uh, psychometric paradigm, which explains essentially how the lay public think of risk mm -hmm. in very different ways as mm -hmm. compared to the experts okay. right, and the scientists. Love that. Um, information processing, mm -hmm. I think that's another very important term because fundamentally decision-making is based on information processing, sure. right? So you mentioned motivated reasoning a moment ago. Right. Essentially, all of our information processing are biased right. to some extent, right. Right? right? Based on our previous knowledge, our existing belief, our value mm -hmm. system, um, the information that we come into contact with. So information processing is really at the core of a lot of those um, decision-making processes. And I think the last one, emotion, because mm -hmm. we know risk is not just based on calculation and numbers and statistics, we right? <laughs> a lot of time, risk is very Affect-driven. Yep. It's yep. very immediate. It's kind of like gut-level reaction or very automatic response. That's like right. I typically talk about the spider analogy in my undergraduate class. Mm. When a spider crawls at you, you don't stand there and think about <laughs> what kind of spider is this? Is it going to bite me? Is it going to be dangerous? You no. jump away because it's a right. fear-inducing right. stimuli. It's like when a car swerves into your lane. You know, you're not <laughs> contemplating the make and model. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So I think affect, emotion, those are also really important um, determinants mm. of risk and risk-related behaviors wonderful wonderful so any as I, as we wrap things up here any parting thoughts to our students out there we have a wonderful mix this year in 101 of of not just incoming uh first years but also third and fourth year as well so any parting words of wisdom for them at all take my risk communication Yay! class you learn so it. much more shameless plug i love it i'm here for it <laughs> janet is an amazing researcher and wonderful instructor and y'all would be well served to uh, take Janet's class in the future. Janet, thank you so much for coming on and thank chatting you. about your work. It is much appreciated. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. All right, friends. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Bye-bye.